Hey there, and welcome to Brave Business Triumphs in partnership with Next, a growth acceleration agency. In our customer and control world, it's critical to understand that your business and your brand need to be more connected than ever before. Check out each episode with host Doug Longenecker and his special guests as they check in with growth-minded leaders and their organizations, exploring why and how they strive to make their businesses more personal and their brands more human. Learn from their inspiring stories of uphill battles, perseverance, and what it takes to make the necessary bold moves with confidence. Get ready, because here we go. Hey, everyone. Today on Brave Business Triumphs, we're speaking with Tara Baumgarten about the new power of PR. More specifically, we'll talk about why today's successful organizations are creating well-integrated strategic communication plans that align with the business objectives, as well as elevate customers' and employees' perceptions of the brand. As the head of PR and strategic communications at Next, a growth acceleration agency, Tara is a creative B2B public relations expert. Her diverse skill set spans strategic communications, events, conferences, marketing strategy, and customer experience, making her a highly sought-after senior counsel to corporations, C-suite executives, professional service firms, nonprofits, and member associations, consultants, authors, and thought leaders in a range of industries. So, Tara, welcome. The episode is long overdue. I'm so glad you're here and glad you could find time to join me on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I, you know, I can kind of also say it's about time. I don't know why it was so hard for us to, <laughs> to get this pulled together, but uh, very happy uh, to have you here and talk about all things PR. I'm happy to talk about all things PR. So uh, the first thing for me is kind of a maybe a slow roll getting into it, but, you know, there's PR, public relations strategic communications, all sorts of different nomenclature. Is there a preference you have when you're referencing your your communications discipline? Uh, that's a good question. I really, I guess it depends on what I'm working on with a particular client. Some, some programs are pure PR in the very traditional sense, and some blur the lines between PR and more strategic comms and brand and marketing. Um, so it really depends on the given situation. All right, fair enough. Um, but whether it's PR, public relations, or strategic communications, or some uh, combination of, of two or all three, how would you best describe the role of this discipline in relation to and complementing brand, marketing, um, sales, and or just the business in general? Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, Well, I guess I see PR as a separate but highly connected discipline to some of the other kind of activities that you mentioned, but they're all mutually reinforcing. So for me, PR is really the foundation of the messaging and the messaging strategy, which underpins pretty much everything else that you were talking about. And it's also uh, that external validation that you get for your clients, like either through you know media placements or speeches, presentations, podcasts, and blogs. And it's that content that really feeds the strategic communications pipeline and that feeds into those other activities. So so I guess for me, the strategic communication part is more like the it's like the connective tissue between the PR, the brand, the marketing, the sales, mm-hmm. and really the business. And it's the it's that practice that is like provides the consistent information that you need to share within your organization, you know, essentially making sure that all of your audiences, uh, regardless of whether they're internal or external, 
are are informed and stay informed and that they're hearing consistent language and consistent messaging from the company, regardless of either the spokesperson that's delivering that message or the channel in which the message is being delivered um, and or the interaction or mechanism for kind of how to leverage that and merchandise it, for lack of a better word, through other communications channels, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Um, how often do you have opportunities to integrate PR messaging with uh, brand or external communications? Yeah, it's a good question, too. I'd say 50-50. It depends on what the client is coming to us for. For clients where it's a much more integrated program, obviously, that happens more frequently when it's more of a project basis, mm -hmm. um, less frequently. But from my perspective, messaging is really the holy grail of all strategic communications. I mean, everything should start with messaging. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, from a brand and marketing side, that's that's uh, a fair equivalent as well. Yeah. Now, you've been doing this for a, a, a good portion of your career to the to the point where you know, consider you an, an expert in, in the field. Uh, over that time, how has the industry and, and clients uh, as well changed the, the most, mm -hmm. uh, both positively and negatively? How long is this podcast, Doug? How much time do we have? <laughs> as long There's, as we need. <laughs> there is so much that's changed since I started. Um, let me take it from, so you said, how does it change on the client side and how has the industry itself changed? Correct. Uh, let yeah. me start with the client side first. I would say the clients have gotten um, more savvy. So they they understand the importance of PR, marketing, communications, messaging. They understand that it's no longer a nice to have, but that it's a must have. So mm -hmm. it takes a lot less, I want to say education, like educating the client. Um but even though they understand the need for it, they don't often understand the mechanics of it and how it all comes together and how it feeds into other aspects, aspects of their business. So while they've gotten more knowledgeable, there's still a lot of counsel that needs to happen. Um, having said that, at the same time, things have gotten a lot less formal. When I first got into PR, everything was from your physical appearance, you know, everything was suit and tie, no mm -hmm. matter what meeting you're at with a client even the emails and the communications you would write to them, everything was really long form and very formal and very prosy and just really long and overdone. And now everybody is pretty much on the same page that they just need the information. They need it concisely. They don't care if uh, it's less formal. They just want to know what they need to know to make a decision and move on. So in that regard, things have gotten a little bit easier in terms of that kind of wall coming down between you and the client, it's definitely more of a, not that it was never a relationship. It's always been a relationship. I just feel like it's become more of a real relationship as opposed to just purely kind of superficial business type of relationship. But from an industry standpoint, um, so much has changed. When I first started, social media was basically limited to Facebook at that point. Um, LinkedIn was like just getting started. In fact, mm -hmm. um, I was working at NBC at the time and a colleague of mine invited me onto LinkedIn. And I remember thinking this, this seems like really sketchy. Like what is this <laughs> and, and what's going on? And I remember joining it and wondering why I'm on it. And now I'm so thankful that she sent me that invite. I think it was in like 2006 or 2005 or something. 
Um, well, if I remember correctly, it used to be more of just a kind of a, a um, digital Rolodex. It's basically what it was. I mean, isn't it amazing to see how how far that's come? Mm -hmm. uh, and then so many platforms that have come after that. So there's so many different ways that you can communicate with people now. I think that's the biggest difference. Everything, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was still it was on the verge of change, but everything was still very much, you know, these are the publications and this is how you pitch them. And this is how people communicate with their audiences. And now there's a million ways that you can um, connect with customers, buyers, you know, members, things like that. And um, there's a lot of places for those niche audiences. And sometimes those niche places where you're, you know, maybe you're not reaching the masses, maybe you're not getting a hundred thousand views on something, mm -hmm. but those hundred thousand views are probably meaningless because you're kind of blasting to a broad audience where you might go into like a subreddit, you know, and yeah. you know, there's 40 people there, but there are 40 of the right people who actually care about your service or your product or your mission or, or what's going on. So in some ways that's a blessing and a curse. There's more places you can go, but then there's more places you can go. So that means that the audiences are slightly more splintered, um, which kind of just creates some challenges and opportunities. Well, and I'm sure that's a, a different um, mindset for clients to kind of get their their head wrapped around. Yeah. Of, of you know talking to a smaller <laughs> like the idea of talking to a smaller audience, but it's better because it's it's a smaller audience and yeah. who are interested in what you have to say. Yeah, it's interesting because I was just I was actually just talking to a former colleague um, who was saying she's in a role now where um, everyone is very you know, math and data focused. Mm -hmm. And so they try to run the marketing team the same way, which don't get me wrong, data is incredibly important. But um, yeah, like it's like a numbers game, like, oh, that only reached 30,000 people. Well, yeah, it reached 30,000 people, but it reached 30,000 of the right people. Would you rather reach 200,000 of the wrong people? Like, is that the metric we're trying to chase? So really trying to like understand the goals for the client and being like a real counselor to them and having mm -hmm. them understand why certain platforms are valuable. And actually this comes up all the time with conferences. So conferences are another big part of the work that we do, obviously. And it's one of my favorite things to do. But um, if I had a dollar for every time, you know, a local business client of mine said they wanted to be on, you know, like just Ted, like as an example, mm -hmm. um, great. Everybody wants to be on Ted. Ted's an amazing platform, but um if you're selling local insurance, <laughs> you know, in a county in a certain state, um, Ted's probably not the right platform for you. And there's a million other places that are. And let me explain to you why that is. And so really helping your client find the right places for their message, really find those audiences where an actual meaningful conversation is going to happen, whether it converts to an immediate sale or it turns into a relationship that you nurture that turns into you know, a partnership down the line, like that's the ultimate goal of working with PR and strategic communications is to make those connections and do it in a smart way. And so it's our job to, to do that. And that, and one last thing, sorry, I keep going on and on. No, that's, one, that's good. Yeah. One of the, the biggest, I would say one of the biggest changes um, that's gone on in the industry, and this isn't like a revelation to anybody, but the, the, the shrinking newsrooms is become a real um, a real challenge, both from the PR side for us who are trying to do the outreach, but also for the journalists, because, you know, they are under 
a tremendous amount of pressure to churn content around constantly. I mean, there's some reporters, you know, who post once a month or whatnot, but the vast majority of journalists are, you know, on deadline constantly. And they're posting, you know, sometimes multiple articles in a day, definitely multiple in a week. Um, so it's really important to understand the pressures that they're under and then be really sensitive to that. And it makes you a, betch, a much better um, practitioner and a much better partner for your client because like understanding how those newsrooms work, understanding mm -hmm. what constraints those journalists are under, understanding that some of the journalists that you're pitching need to also pitch their editors. So it's not just only up to them sometimes. And then making sure that on the flip side, we're educating our client as to that process so that together we can make this as effective as possible. And we're not wasting anybody's time, either the client or the journalist time. But I would say being extremely sensitive to the demands on the journalists and the limitations and the constraints that they're under is probably one of the biggest shifts that's happened since I've been in PR. Well, I'm glad you brought that up in regards to the journalists in the, in the shrinking newsrooms. It's even from a from a series of, of different news outlets, even when you look at the the shrinking and almost disappearing print um, mm -hmm. aspect of, of the business. Yep. Um, that's, that's a huge impact. And even to um, uh, different reporters and, and journalists, what they're asked to do in social media, mm -hmm. not just posting of their, of their articles, but making sure that their articles and I guess even the, the, the stations or publications or media outlets they represent are getting, likes and shares and mm -hmm. all the other social media metrics that go with it. I, there's a friend of mine whose daughter is a TV reporter and in a fairly decent sized market. And that's one of the main concerns. So it's, mm -hmm. it's as a journalist, you're, you're still always on. Yeah, always. And you, you hit it on the head too. So many of the journalists are incentivized by the clicks and the likes and the shares. So like their next assignment from their editor is going to be determined based on how well their last article went. So I know a lot of people have a lot of uh, criticism about the media, especially when it comes to political type of media. But um, it is true in that the a lot of the journalists work is is driven by clickability and what's going to be read and, and shared and making sure you present your client's story in a way that they can see the virility of that story mm -hmm. um, and the viability of that story and just the interest of it is really uh it's really key yeah I mean, and and as as um consumers of media we may not like that um in, in terms of the the clickbait and the, and the clickability of, of headlines but that's the reality of the world that that journalists and journalism is in right now yep yep so you mentioned um, two points. One is the the clients are more are becoming more savvy as a change, and what we've been talking about here is is the impact of social media. So I, I want to kind of try and bring those two together, in terms of when you look at um, social media and creating personal brands or professional brands, um, in terms of thought leadership and thought leadership thought leadership becoming um, a major part of considerations for businesses and their leaders. Mm -hmm. How does content strategy and content development factor into how you are helping your clients gain traction and exposure? Yeah, I mean, that's huge. Uh, just kind of going back to what we were just talking about, because all those newsrooms are shrinking, there's fewer and fewer opportunities for actual interviews. Uh, I mean, unless you're going on a podcast. I mean, the podcasts have been a great, great change. But like in terms of traditional publications, 
uh, journalists just can't write as much. So they're looking for a lot of contributed content. So content creation in that regard is huge for third party, but also content creation for your own channels. I mean, if you're thinking about the peso model, you know, you paid, earned, searched and owned. Um, you got to take advantage of all those channels and content creation can very easily become a never ending fire hose. It, it's just, it never ends. It always needs to be created. Um, and the more opportunities you can get for the clients, the more writing and content creation that needs to be um, completed. But people always say too that, you know, it's like that famous saying, you know, content is king. But to me, distribution is really king um, because you can create content all day long. But if you're not being really smart about how you're sharing it, then it doesn't like it's just a waste of time. So social media um is definitely a huge part and probably the main way that people share outside of like, you know, corporate or internal channels and whatnot, but making sure that you're really looking at those different channels, those social media channels and, and differentiating the content for each one of those channels and really understanding what the purpose of each one of those platforms is and tailoring your content. So I think the worst thing that somebody can do is say, oh, I just created this piece of content on, you know, widget A. And I'm going to post it verbatim on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, you know, so on and so forth, as opposed to like really understanding the function of that platform, what the community expectations are for content delivery on those platforms and like even what format, you know, is a visual, is it got to be video? Is it going to be audio? Is it just copy, written copy? And like really just understanding how, how all of that comes together and, um, tweaking the content too to fit those different platforms and situations yeah um definitely important and if if um i don't want to put words in your mouth but in, in hearing that that your response to the different types of of media making sure that we have the right the right messaging or in the right format for those platforms that that speaks to me when i hear that um in terms of integration and with the concept of integrated community the concept of an integrated communications program um it's fairly universal with, with the industry at, at this point how do you and your team ensure that your initiatives from the from the pr side are aligned with broader messaging goals as well as uh, specific business outcomes yeah no it's a good question i'd say for us it's easy because we always start with business goals because communication isn't just some siloed you know, practice, it has to align with and fully support the business goals and objective. Otherwise, you know, what's the point <laughs> of our communication right. strategy? Um, I've seen a lot of communication strategies fail because you've got a lot of really creative people in a room who come up with some ideas, but it's completely disconnected from the brand or the business goal or the campaign. And it's just kind of a creative campaign for creative campaign sake. So for me, it always starts with some kind of deep dive discovery at the beginning of any program. And that discovery really just tries to get at the heart of what those business goals are. And it's even better when you have multiple um, leaders in the room, whether they oversee different business functions or different products, mm -hmm. things like that, because they usually have, you know, one shared large goal, but lots of little mini goals that ladder up to that large goal. So really, really understanding in a really deep way what what motivates them and what they're trying to accomplish and then really trying to figure out how communication supports that and the other mm -hmm. areas. Um, 
Yeah, there are many times where we're hired as an integrated partner, which just makes it just makes it so much easier for us to do our job because our line of sight into the business is so much better. But there are times where we're just hired, you know, to be the, you know, quote, PR folks. So getting mm-hmm. insights from other supporting business units and staying in constant communication with them so that our activities are aligned and complementary is key. Um, I mean, like an example would be, and this is just like a super basic one, but like if if the company was going to like a really major trade show because it's just super important for the industry, it's where a lot of their key customers are, you're not just focused on what the booth looks like. You know, you need to know you know, the key objectives, you need to know what marketing channels are available to them, you need to understand what key products, services and attributes of those products, they're trying mm-hmm. to highlight which spokespeople are going to be there and helping those spokespeople put their best foot forward, because, you know, executive A might be really strong on, on a whim and can really speak off the cup where, where executive B really needs some handholding, and you really need to support them in a different way to make sure that the the whole yeah. initiative is a success. Yeah, and, and um, it looks like you know the, your industry is no different than a lot of other industries uh, in terms of you know certain uh, buzzwords or, or um, uh, you know broader initiatives that people kind of latch onto. Uh, in recent years, it seems to be around customer experience, and now it's kind of um, starting to bridge into employee experience, but. Um, how does how does or can PR play a significant role in the success or failure of these types of initiatives? Oh, uh, well, I think it's huge. I mean, well, <clears throat> let me take a step back and just say, like, as our good friends and collaborators, Tom Stewart and Patricia O'Connell yeah. always say, you know, every interaction with every customer should deliver an experience you want it to deliver. Mm-hmm. And a great customer experience needs to be like intentionally designed into the company strategy and operating model and not just, you know, slapped on at the end. You know, it's not just marketing. It's not just PR. It's not just customer service. It has to be an intrinsic part of the value you create and that the customers receive. And that has to be intentional. And communications plays a huge role in that. And I would say it plays a big role in that, not just in like, figuring out what the journey is and how to improve and optimize the journey and what that experience is like, but also really like understanding the linkage between customer experience and employee experience. And Mm -hmm. like just knowing that the CX experience starts with a great employee experience. I always say an informed workforce is an engaged workforce, which means happy employees equal happy. There are a lot of things that go into making that happen. And a lot of that starts with internal communication. So it's not even PR as much as it's just strategic communications in terms of really making sure that the employees um, are informed and empowered and have a little bit autonomy to respond um, in the moment to customers that are having problems. So like, but that could be a large, uh, that could be a large undertaking, correct? I mean, that's, that's almost sounds like we're, we're talking potential kind of culture change it, it could be i mean it yes sometimes and, and no sometimes so there's some companies that i think have a good culture but maybe don't have um some of the right mechanisms in place and there's other companies that probably have tons of communication in place but they're not saying the right things mm-hmm. so for me like a company can't just rely on one form of communication they can't just say oh the ceo email or the town hall meeting and and good, we've covered our bases. The employees are informed. You know, you you right. have access to a million communications channels. 
and companies and employees expect now of their employer what they expect of other media. Like they want options. They want to be reached in different ways. And companies need to take advantage of all of them to meet their employees where they are, especially nowadays in multi-generational workforces. You know, really creative companies are using different modes of communication and opening up different channels for different purposes specifically so that they're touching all of these people um in the ways that they want to like and i'll just give you like an example like Mm -hmm. a couple of companies i know have recently instituted an an internal podcast so not external internal it's specifically for their employees and it's really really great for employees who are what i call like deskless workers so you think people like manufacturing retail hospitality healthcare people that are like Mm -hmm. on their feet or in a factory or you know working with patients things like that where they're not tethered to a computer all day the way a lot of other um professions are and so really trying to figure out like how do you communicate to that group of people in a way that keeps them informed puts it in a format that's easy for them to listen to while they're on the go or doing their job. So they don't have to log on to a computer if they're not near one or don't have one. Mm-hmm. Um, and just thinking about what the experience is for that employee and how that then translates to better outcomes for the patients, the members, the customers, whoever that they're dealing with. So PR plays a huge role in that too, because PR can help you know, design what you know an internal communication strategy can look like that then parlays into what the external strategy looks like. And then you take it, you know, one step farther in more traditional PR um, kind of terms, you know, PR gets a media placement, for example, for, you know, a CEO of a company. Then you, again, you put that through all of your paid earns, shared and owned channels so that each placement, each speech, every blog, a Q&A interview, whatever it is, yep. but employees at the company are seeing that and they're seeing, what the executive's talking about, they understand what the priorities are, it signals to them, um, you know, what's important for the business, how it's operating, what the company stands for, where they're placing their big bets and their money. Um, and it just gives the employees so much more insight. And then it makes them so much more prepared to handle all those customer conversations that they need to have. And it just really, uh, just really feeds into each other really nicely when it's done well. Yeah. And I guess in, in hearing you talk about it, one of my big takeaways is it's not a it's not a a checklist sort of sort of thing where it's just, okay, once and done, we got it off our list, we're good to go. I mean, this is ongoing initiatives um for both customer experience and employee experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it never stops too, because our situations never change. Like our world is always changing. The situations we need to respond to is individuals as organizations is always going to change. So, I mean, two years ago, who thought there'd be a pandemic? Who thought that would be followed by, you know, all this return to work or mental health? And, you know, there's so many different things that factor into what makes a happy employee and what customers expect and how we need to communicate and the ways we need to communicate. And so it's just, you definitely can't rest on your laurels uh, once you think you've got it figured out like keep figuring it out because it's going to change. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, apparently now, I mean, there is no going back to, you know, in air quotes, normal. It's establishing what the new normal is moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's a whole, that's a whole episode unto itself. probably. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also wanted to ask you, um, you've worked on a number of different clients and industries. 
Um, but of, of all the experiences you've, you've had, what is a favorite campaign that, that you've worked on and, and why? Oh, gosh, you're going to make me pick just one. <laughs> well, um, no, I'm, no one's limiting you here. You can, if there's more yeah. than one, that's great. No, it's a really good question. I, I really like all the work that I do. I, I, I've done so much work for like, I mean, huge, like Fortune 50 companies. And I've worked with teeny tiny nonprofits that people have probably never heard of. And I've really enjoyed most of everything that I've ever worked on. But I, if I have to be pinned down to something, I would say the the programs and the clients whose work align with my values generally tend to be my most favorite. And when I say values, I'll, I'll give you some examples. So I worked with a, an author, um, Andrew Winston is his name. He uh, He's written a bunch of books. He's also a consultant, but his, his uh, platform is really about how businesses can um, do well by doing good. And um, I know that there's a lot of talk about that now, but he's been talking about this for a really, really long time. And he has some really radically practical strategies for how companies can approach their own climate impact and practices and, you know, environmental social governance um, practices. And so I really found a lot of personal satisfaction in helping him uh, raise his profile because I really believe in the work that he's doing. Mm -hmm. Similarly, um, I did a lot of work with GE Water and Process Technologies. Uh, now they're part of Suez. But at the time, uh, we were doing a lot of work around industrial um, wastewater recycling. Um, obviously, our most precious earthly resource is water. And it's really um, it's really under attack right now. And we need to pay a lot more attention to it and find alternative sources for uh had a clean water that's otherwise uh, not usable. And they created a lot of technologies that really helped to um, make water really viable, potable, usable, again, out of these really heavy industrial uh, processes. And interestingly, because I worked with them for a really long time, I haven't worked with them in a long time. But um, just last week, there was a story in Arizona um, around a brewery that is making uh, craft beer out of recycled uh, industrial wastewater. And it's starting wow. to become a trend now. And um, I don't know how it affects the taste. According to the article, yeah. they said it's better than most tap water, which I tend to agree with because tap water is not uh, tested or regulated really so much mm -hmm. um, the way the industrial water is. So I, I thought it was really interesting. One of the things I got to do was um, worked on a summit for them where we brought together policymakers and industry leaders to talk about what types of policies would need to be in place in order to really push this practice more to the forefront so that companies actually started doing it. And there was um, like demand for the byproduct of the reused water. And Singapore is actually really far ahead in this. And um, they were, I think, one of the first countries to bottle water from their waste facility and at the summit they handed the water bottles out and everyone cheers with them so i got to taste uh recycled industrial wastewater from singapore well at least it let you know ahead of time what you were drinking rather than the it was a it being a big reveal at the end to say yeah, oh, no, no, what have you been drinking the entire conference it's recycled water yeah and that was the whole reason we were there i mean it was like in bottled like poland spring type bottle yeah. i mean it was like bottled water it was called new water actually it was really good that's good and one. then one of the other ones, like totally opposite direction was uh, 
uh, a charter school that I supported. They're called Making Waves. If anybody doesn't know who they are, they're great. They're in California. And their entire mission is to support first-generation non-native English speakers to not just get accepted into college, but to get into college, graduate college, and do so with as little debt as possible. So really kind of changing the legacy mm-hmm. of, of their family and really helping them you know, get off on the right foot and have uh, the right ingredients for a long, successful career and, and life. So um, who can't argue with that? Right. Exactly. Well, you know, um, at, at the um, towards the beginning, we were talking about changes in in the industry and part and parcel, I think of, of or when I think of changes to the industry or to the business. Um, what goes hand in hand with that a lot of times is best practices. Mm. And um, I, with that in mind, are there any best practices you would like to advise as you know a must-have as we're moving forward, kind of into this new new media world? Um, and then, are there any that you think that are that really need to be completely debunked um, because they're they're outdated or overrated? Hmm. Good questions. Um, in terms of like a must-have. Not really, only because every client and every industry is different. What works for one might not necessarily work for another. Or what strategy is right over here might not be the right one over there. But there are some basic things. And this kind of goes back to something I said earlier. Like for me, must have best practices is every program needs to start with a solid understanding of the messaging. Like what are the key messages? Why mm-hmm. are they the key messages? And how are the key messages being used? Are they being used consistently? And revisiting them um, over time, not just like writing them once and then, you know, five years later, you're still using the same things. These things need to evolve year after year. And if you can evolve them with um, data, data points to validate any of the points you're trying to make, or Mm -hmm. if you can support them with any case examples, I would say, you know, that's key. That's a must have that, like I said earlier, underpins every other activity and strategy that you're going to roll out, whether it's through social or content creation or, you know, just your external media relations or whatnot. So I would say that's definitely a must have. Um, In terms of like outdated or overrated, um, (laughs) and this might be a controversial statement (laughs) to some, but um, I am really, really, really not a fan of press releases. And whenever I have the opportunity to try and talk a client out of them, I, I do. I will caveat that by saying, if you are a very large organization and you need to be, you know, quote, on the record about something, um, the press release is the definite way to go. But um, if it's just an announcement for a smaller company, it, press releases can get really expensive and they don't always get picked up. And even when they do, maybe they don't get picked up in the great places. I think the money that a client is going to spend on distributing a press release is probably better served doing something else, whether that is going after a piece of sponsored content or boosting a social media or doing another round of email marketing that's really targeted with some, you know, creative, either a video or something. I would say to me, that's more effective than a press release. However, press releases do have <clears throat> some purpose. <laughs> I just yeah, think I mean, I guess, yeah, there, there is kind of to a certain degree, there are necessary evil um, evil is probably not the right word, but they they are necessary to some degree. But the impact that they that they used to have or may have had in you know prior years or prior decades 
they're not having that same impact or, or breakthrough ability from a messaging standpoint nowadays. Yeah, I mean, that's my take on it. But again, this is, um, <laughs> if you go into like any PR forum, you will see vigorous debates about this. <laughs> so you're either on one side or the other. Yeah, I, I'm not, this is, this is the first I'm really being involved with this debate. I'm not really sure where I fall at this point, but it, you know what? It, it really doesn't matter <laughs> from, from, from my perspective. Um, uh, but it, it is something for everyone to think about as they're moving forward with their, their plans uh, for the upcoming year in terms of how much, how much stock do they put in the value and the weight of, of press releases to carry the message forward. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it comes down to value for the money. Um, like if you've got $1,500 to spend, is the press release the best way to do it? Sometimes that answer might be yes, but mm -hmm. a lot of times it's it's no. And so figuring out how you can use those resources to better share your message, yeah. I think is worth considering. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I know this has been a, a long time coming, but uh, we're, we're reaching the end of this, of this uh, interview. I know <laughs> it went fast. really, really fast. So I yeah. think what I'd like to do is see if, if, uh, if you have any interest in coming back, I'd love to, we can, we can maybe focus on one particular issue. It feels like we, we touched on a lot of different areas today, but maybe, you know, hone in on one or, or two areas and go a little bit more, have a, a deeper dive. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd come back anytime. Yeah. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad, but there's also, there's still time for the lightning round. If you have interest in that. Oh yes. Go for it. <laughs> All right. So when you keep up with your reading, uh, is it with a Kindle or is it ink on paper? Ink on paper, 100% of the time. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, really old school. I love it. <laughs> you know, I like, to, I like to turn the page, uh, a real page, uh, as well. Are you iPhone or Android? Ugh. Like, if I could be neither, I'd be neither. But... <laughs> um, all right, but within that world, what, what's your favorite app within that world? Ooh, all right. I have a couple. I will maybe share them in order. So A number one is my 10% happier app, which is my meditation app, which makes me 10% less of a jerk. Um, Pandora, because I can't go anywhere without music. Uh, Duolingo, because I'm learning German right now, because we're taking a trip, and wow. uh, VRBO, so I can find a place to stay <laughs> on that trip. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. Um, Zoom, Google Meet, or MS Teams? Uh, I think the one we use most often now is Meet, um, so I probably would have to say Meet, but good old-fashioned phone call works just as good, too. All right. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot of options there. Um, then what's your favorite happy place? It might maybe it's your meditation app. I don't know. No, it's anywhere my family is. Uh, it's a, you know, I've got a husband and two two sons, and I don't get to see them as much as I would like to. So really, anywhere anywhere they are, and if that happens to be at a mountain lake or at a concert, even better. <laughs> All right, terrific. Well, hey Tara, again, it's it's uh, it was long overdue. I'm glad we had a chance to do this. I'm looking forward to. Um, an upcoming episode uh, where we can go a deeper dive into some specific and key areas. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thanks again. All right. 